0: Thank you, music team, and thank you for the part as well. Now, please open up your Bibles uh, to Isaiah chapter seven, and uh, I'll give the Bible reading now. So that's the book of Isaiah chapter seven. Verse one, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the, son, the was king of Judah, king Rezan of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the launderers' field say to him, be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you also try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, for the boy, before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah he will bring the king of Assyria in that day the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria they will all come and settle in the deep steep ravines in the, in the crevices in the rocks on all the thorn bushes and at all the waterholes In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and private parts and to cut off your beard also. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats and because of the abundance of milk that they give, there will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, In every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. This is the word of the Lord. Iggy is going to come up to give us the message from the passage.
1: Our fears shape our lives. Uh, Many of us are conscious of this. For example, if you're scared of spiders, then you're going to do whatever it takes to avoid spiders. Uh, Did you know that 75% of the population are scared of public speaking? So uh, you might do whatever it takes to avoid standing up on a stage and speaking to a lot of people. But I think for many of us, Many of us, we aren't even aware of how much our fears actually shape our lives. Because we have hidden fears that are probably a little bit deeper that we don't even realize ourselves. Maybe you're a perfectionist, you're a high high achiever, You, you spent your whole life working yourself to the bone to make sure things are perfect. But really that's driven by a fear of failure. Maybe you strive for success and money with all of your energy, that's all you do because You'll be controlled of a fear that without these things, you won't have any worth or that no one will respect you. Maybe you craft your words and actions carefully each day in the workplace, in school, in uni, wherever it might be, so that people will never know that you're really a Christian because you have a fear of rejection that's driving you. Friends, if we let them, our fears will rule us. They will control us. This is one of the weapons in Satan's arsenal as he seeks to bring us down. So the question is, how do we fight fear? How do we overcome fear? Well, as we look into Isaiah chapter 7 to 9 today, we're going to uh, see what God has to say to us about this. And our first point is this, a choice in the face of fear in chapters, uh, so Isaiah 7 verses 1 to 12. Have a look at verse 1 with me in your Bibles. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezan of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. But they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now here's the situation, we have King Ahaz in the south. And now to give you some context, in 2 Kings 16, it tells us a bit about this king, and he is a horrific king. He followed the religions of foreign nations. He even sacrificed his own children in the fire. But he is the king of Judah. He is the king of the southern kingdom. And there's two northern kingdoms here, Israel, also known as Ephraim, and Syria, also known as Aram. They're now threatening to attack, to come down and attack Judah. And Ahaz is very afraid. Verse 2, the second half. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They're quaking in their boots. So God sends Isaiah to give a message to Ahaz, who he finds anxiously checking the town's water supply. He's getting ready for a siege. He's wondering how long he can hold out against these enemies as he seeks a solution. But God has some assurance for him. Have a look at verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, And don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. There are two nations filled with fierce anger at his doorstep, but God says to Ahaz, don't be afraid. Why? Because I will be with you. The following verses have a promise that Syria and Ephraim will be shattered. They will not stand. And this has been an enduring promise to God's people ever since they entered the promised land long ago. Whenever it comes to enemies, God has promised he will go with his people and he will defeat these enemies. Have a look at Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. It will be coming up on the screen. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. As the Israelites were going into the promised land, as they were facing fearsome, overwhelming odds, God promises that he will be with them. Don't be afraid. And this is the promise that still stands. God goes with you. If God is with you, then you will have nothing to fear. Of course not. This is God we're talking about. This is the one with unsurpassed power and strength. God's message to Ahaz is this. Don't be afraid. Instead, have faith. But if you don't, you will fall. The second half of verse 9 says this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Faith is the key. To further reinforce his promise, God says to Ahaz in verse 10, Ask me for a sign and I'll do it. And the sinful king Ahaz, suddenly he gets all spiritual. He gets all humble. No, 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 God. I couldn't do that. I can't put my God to the test. My friends, this isn't humility, really. This is just disobedience. He doesn't want to do what God's asking him to do. You see, God, he's given Ahaz a choice. Have faith or be ruled by fear. God's given a promise. He's even, given, he's even offered to give a sign, but Ahaz doesn't trust him. He doesn't have faith. In fact, we find out in 2 Kings 16 that Ahaz actually goes to a foreign king, uh, the Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser, and asks him to save him. He asks a foreign king instead of asking God for help. He seeks out a human solution in a foreign nation when God has graciously offered him divine help. Why did he do this? Because he's letting his fear rule him, not faith. And let's look at God's response as we go into our next point. God with us, um, from verses 13 to 25. Have a look at verse 13 with me in your Bibles of chapter 7. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now Ahaz doesn't want to ask God for a sign, but God's going to give him a sign anyway. And this is it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, who is this referring to? Who is this Emmanuel figure historically? Well, we can't know for sure. There's some common theories around. It could be King Hezekiah. Ahaz's son, the next king in line, who will actually be, be a righteous good king, unlike his father. But it's likely he was actually already born at that time, so I'm not sure if this applies. It could be Isaiah's son. In chapter 8, we see that he'll be born also as a sign regarding Syria and Israel. But, you know, there's a the problem of the virgin birth. We, we don't know for sure, but what we do know for sure is this. Have a look at verse 16. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The enemies will be defeated while the boy is still young. This makes sense, doesn't it? Emmanuel, it means God with us. Of course, if God is with us, the enemies will not stand. Judah will be saved. But the sign continues. Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as you have not not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And then verse 18 will go on to state how God will whistle for Assyria and they'll come and judge Ahaz's kingdom, Judah, as well. And note Assyria here is God's tool. God is the one in control. In verse 20, they are described as a razor that God will use. Historically, we see Assyria indeed will come and destroy Syria and Israel, these enemies of Judah. That's what Ahaz wanted, some help. Uh, from Assyria. He's probably pretty happy. But they don't stop there. Eventually, they will march into Judah and lay waste to the land. So let's stop and think. The birth of this child Emmanuel, this sign that God gives, it's a sign, but what is it a sign of? Is it a sign of salvation? Or is it a sign of judgment? Well, it's actually... Both. It depends whose side you're on. Imagine if someone challenged you to a fight. I, I don't know why, you know, maybe you've offended them. They said, you know, come and fight me, but you, you I'll bring a partner, you bring a partner. Who would you pick to come and fight on your side? Maybe you'd pick someone like Bruce Lee when he was in his prime, you know, the best fighter that the world has known. Or maybe maybe in your mind it's Muhammad Ali. Someone like that with power, with strength, with skill. If you had someone like that, a strong fighter, someone with that power, what assurance it would be to have that person around, wouldn't it? What an assuring thing, a comforting thing to have that person around. But imagine if you came to the fight and then all of a sudden that person was on the other side. Bruce Lee is facing you. Muhammad Ali is staring you down. All of a sudden having that person around it isn't so comforting anymore is it it isn't really a good thing it's actually quite fearsome it's scary it really depends whose side that you're on you see if god is present and he is on your side you have nothing to fear there is great assurance there. But he, because he's not only promised to protect and save you, but he has the power to actually follow through on those promises. But if God is present and he is not on your side, then this is a fearsome thing. Fierce judgment is coming and you cannot stand. This is God we're talking about here. We see this with Ahaz. God's presence means salvation as his enemies are defeated. And if Ahaz trusted God, this would be a happy ending here but it's only temporary because devastating judgment comes because ahaz lacks faith god offers to be on his side but he rejects it he rejects god and he sides with others you see god with us emmanuel the presence of god it can be a very very good thing or it can be a very very bad thing depending on where you stand with God. Friends, if you were to stand before God today. Before his holy throne in his presence. Would it be a day of joyous celebration as you celebrate a salvation? Or would it be a fearsome day? A scary day? As judgment would be your fate. Would you be comforted? Or would you fear? If you were in the presence of God. we see for the nation of Judah, fearsome judgment is coming. And we're on to our next point from darkness to light. What follows in chapter eight is a series of oracles concerning Judah's coming judgment. And I just want to examine one of these. God is speaking to Isaiah here in verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy. Everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They'll be snared and captured. And once again, what's highlighted here is a fear problem. Just like Ahaz in chapter 7, God tells Isaiah to not fear what everyone else fears, but instead, honor the Lord as the Lord of hosts is holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Now, this sounds a little bit odd. Dread God. But indeed, he is dreadful. He is fearsome if you stand on the wrong side of him we see that he will be a stumbling stone to break Israel and Judah because they have feared human enemies more than the Lord of the heavens. They had no faith in God. Imagine God offering to fight for you and protect you and you, know, you slap his hand away and say, it's okay, I'll, I'll find someone else to help me, no thanks. What a dishonor to God. They don't fear God. In fact, they just treat him disrespectfully and casually. And the fate of Judah is this, verse 22. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. As children, we are afraid of the dark, aren't we? Not the light. It is often, darkness is often associated with being afraid and scared, and rightfully so. It's a picture of hopelessness, of despair, of evil, of the unknown. It seems the nation of Judah has been condemned with no way out here. The picture is utter darkness. And friends, they deserve it. Faithless, practicing other religions, finding security in human power, not God, but in His grace. Once again, God offers some hope. I'm going to read some beautiful verses to you here from, verse, uh, from chapter 9. You might, you might recognize some of them. Let me read them to you. Chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged a nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. A day is coming where the light will break through like a shining beacon in the darkness, a beacon of new hope. It will be a day of rejoicing, of celebration, of peace. Uh, Verse 5 says, every warrior's boot, every garment rolled in blood will be burnt up because there's no more conflict, no more war. Why? For to us, a child is born and he will, will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we could examine possible fulfillments of who this might be historically, but I think this prophecy is so big that it must launch us into the future. Remember the movements of Isaiah, the big movements. As, um, it goes from Assyria to Babylon, uh, it goes from judgment to salvation, and it goes from Jerusalem to New Jerusalem. That's the movements of the book, the three big movements. And here we see this. We see that this is a bigger story than Ahaz has in his fear. It's bigger than Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem, Jerusalem under that time. It concerns a new Jerusalem, a new creation, a new reality, a new era, as judgment gives way to salvation, true salvation. And it will only come as the one called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, takes his throne. Verse 7 Because of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This can only be one person. The light in the darkness, our only hope, is our Lord and our Savior jesus christ this is the biggest story 700 years later after the events of isaiah in the town of nazareth a man named joseph was visited by an angel after finding out his betrothed wife was pregnant and not by him Uh, let me read to you from matthew 1 verse 20 joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now if the name of this son that was to be born was simply Emmanuel, I think Joseph might have been left wondering, is this a good or a bad thing? Because in Isaiah 7, where this quote comes from, Emmanuel meant judgment for God's people who sinfully rejected him. Because God is bone-shakingly holy, we saw this in Isaiah 6. And if he is sinned against, he must rightfully judge. God's presence among sinners, it's fearsome. Which is why it's so vital to note that it's not just Emmanuel that's highlighted here as the name of this person who's to come. There's another name highlighted, Matthew 1 verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus, he comes as the embodiment of God with us. God made flesh to walk amongst us. But why did the incarnation happen? What was God's plan? Salvation. Salvation. The name Jesus, it literally means salvation saviour before he was even born his destiny was to save his people from their sins and he did this by taking on the anger of god the judgment of god that we deserved upon himself as he died on the cross for you and for me his death means forgiveness of sins his death means salvation his death means god is not only with us but he is on our side Which means you no longer have to be afraid. You don't have to fear God's judgement anymore if you come to Jesus. You are on the winning side if you trust in Him. Christian brothers and sisters know this and be assured and take comfort in this. The greatest victory has been won for us. Sin and death cannot hold us down anymore. God with us because of what Jesus Christ has done. But only do you not, well, not only do you not have to fear God's judgment anymore, you also no longer have to fear anything in this world anymore. Romans 8.31 says these famous words, If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Friends, do, do you believe this? You know what the context here of this verse is? Um, It's suffering, it's persecution. And the scriptures say that even in the face of death, we don't need to fear. And note, it doesn't say nothing bad will ever happen to you. It doesn't say things will be very comfortable and nice as Christians. It says you will suffer, but in the face of suffering, do not be afraid. Why? Because we have God on our side. We have God on our side. I wonder if you realize how significant that is. The one who is sovereign, the one who is in control, the one who is the king of the universe, the one with ultimate power and authority, he is guarding us. We have King Jesus on our side. Remember who he is, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He fights for us. The one who is stronger than any other promises to keep us safe and protect us and guide us back home. To the heavenly kingdom on that final day. Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, what is it that you are afraid of? We live in a broken world. That's what sin has done. And there is plenty of things that we face in this world that stir up fears in us, real significant fears. They can be big, they can be small. Let me ask. Do you fear missing out? Do you fear death? Do you fear getting old and being helpless? Do you fear being alone for the rest of your life? Do you fear that you'll never be respected or valued or loved? Do you fear being hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually? Do you fear your family being hurt? Do you fear that you are wasting your life? Friends, these are all real, genuine fears in a sense, many of them are legitimate fears, but here's where the danger comes in. It comes when we let these fears control us. And especially the dangers come as we start seeking human solutions to these problems and these fears of ours. We rely on our own power to overcome these fears so often, We or we rely on others, other humans to prop us up, to help us, to save us, all the while forgetting That we have God on our side. And just like he offered to Ahaz, he gives us a choice. Will you choose faith or will you choose fear? Will you trust in him? Friends, I don't know what fears that you're carrying today as you hear this message, but is today the day that you bring your fears to God and let him take them from you? He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to trust in Him. He doesn't promise all your, all your fear, all your problems are just going to disappear. Right? He's, and He's not saying that if you are ever afraid of anything in your life, that you're sinful and somehow a defective Christian with bad faith. But what God is saying to us is that you don't need to let your fear rule you. Your worry, your anxieties, these are not the things that control you now. Why? Because He is in control even when you aren't, especially when you aren't, because He is good and because He loves you and is caring for you. He wants you to remember this. His presence changes everything. Trust Him and know that no matter what the world throws at you, you will be okay. Look at what God has done for you. He's given his one and only son for you. Do you think he'll let you be defeated now? No. God is with us. God is on our side. Jesus has saved us and he will bring us safely into our eternal home to rejoice with him for all eternity. And nothing, nothing can ever change that. Friends, do you believe this? This is the hope. This is the promise that we have with god on our side god with us don't be afraid if god is for you who can be against you let me pray father god we thank you we thank you so much that despite our sin our unworthiness that you have graciously offered to be with us to be on our side to protect us, to care for us, to adopt us into your family, to make us your people, your children. Forgive us for the times that we forget these things, for the times where we let our fears just rule us and we forget that you are the one who is sovereign and in control and powerful. Help us to have faith, to have real faith, to trust even when things look hopeless. And help us not to be ruled by our fears, but instead to turn to Jesus Christ, our King, Emmanuel, God with us. And in his name we pray. Amen.